fellow fiends. Welcome to another terrifying and delectable episode of Nightmare on Film Street. The horror podcast with zero credibility, but all of the blood, ghouls, and gore. Your puny heart can handle. <laughs> Let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends, and welcome to Nightmare on Film Street. I'm John. I'm Kim. And today we say happy birthday to the host with the most, the coolest of ghouls. Oh, keep going. Uh, the uh, prettiest of paranormal activities. I, I've lost it. I'm already gone. Me! <laughs> That's right. It is Kim's birthday this Saturday. But more importantly, larger scope, it is the Greedy Guts Month. I should say more importantly. I really apologize. What? Uh. But it is Greedy Guts Month. Uh, this is our continued exploration into all of those little horror movies that you love so much for no reason. Uh, and Kim has handpicked the movies for this week's episode. Yes, in kind of Nightmare on Film Street tradition, July is always kind of a free-for-all month. We both end up picking our two guilty pleasure picks. If you missed our last episode, that was John's pick. His birthday falls a week before mine. So yeah, we watched his picks last time, and now we're watching mine. Would you like to tell him what you picked? Yeah, I'm trying to remember the title of this episode. <laughs> Fables and Folklore. <laughs> We are talking 2017's November from Estonia and 2006's Taxidermia from... Where is Taxidermia from? Hungary. Hungary. I'm hungry for more horror. Oh no, that's bad. I'm stopping. <laughs> keeping it in. Before we get into it though, Kim, what is keeping you creepy this week? Well, we are currently in between Fantasia trips. We have been traveling from our home base in Toronto-ish, Ontario, to Montreal. Yeah, don't give them the exact address. <laughs> Toronto-ish. Uh, well, if they really want to know, it's on our P.O. box. On That's a good point. Yeah. yeah, so we're heading back and forth to Montreal through the two big weekends in July. Uh, we're headed back this weekend to catch more films like The Wretched. Oh, yeah. Which I'm very excited for. Eight, which I know nothing about. Blood on her name. It's going to be a big weekend. More importantly, though. My birthday! You're Kim's birthday! <laughs> We're going to be hunting down the best margarita in Montreal. We're going to see if we can find a pool that we can post up in for a half an hour or an hour. Half a, half a day. Half a day, preferably one with bar service. <laughs> uh, and then Sunday, we're going to check out Shutter Presents Joe Bob Briggs Live, How Rednecks Saved Hollywood. I'm so very excited. I'm very, very excited it's also. It's going to be amazing. We just, uh, we have an interview with Joe Bob Briggs that will be hitting the website on Friday. Tomorrow, if you're listening to this the day that it launches, uh, we literally just got off the phone with him and... 
He is the nicest guy in the world. He's everything you expect. Uh, we are also coming back off of last weekend. So we're doing a bunch of reviews and transcribing interviews from that. We had a ton of fun last weekend. It was amazing. Um, we saw some really great movies. I'm not going to summarize them all, but we saw Critters Attack, Paradise Hills, Phantom of the Paradise, and the new documentary Phantom of Winnipeg, which were amazing. We got to interview Paul Williams. It was so much fun. We also got to check out The Deeper You Dig. Uh, and we, we did a bunch of interviews with, uh, with people associated with almost all of those movies um we've got a, a whole lot more to see this weekend i'm very very excited but yeah for all that fantasia coverage hit us up at nofspodcast.com there's interviews there's reviews there's all kinds of stuff and also if you check us out on social media we're posting updates from the event tons of food tons of booze <laughs> tons of fun um and that's at NOFS Podcast, and then all of our instagram handles you can find us there we will be there all weekend long if you happen to be in montreal this weekend Reach out to us. We will hang out, catch movies, fun things, celebrate my birthday, maybe. <laughs> One last thing before we go. We still haven't seen Crawl, and it is killing me. Uh, it uh, hurts. People uh, People in like my immediate circle in that I know in real life, like friends, family members and stuff, are asking me, like, ooh, is it good? Should I go see it? And I just, I lie. I'm like, yeah, it's great. You're gonna love it. But just don't. Talk to me about it after. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stay spoiler free. I wanna, I wanna go see it again for the first time. You understand? I need to see this movie. We'll get there. We'll get there. When we got a whole weekend now, and then there's the, all the the work that needs to be done <laughs> afterward. I don't know, John. You make time. That's what I'm learning. You make time. <laughs> it's Gator o'clock. <laughs> I'm gonna say that as I slap twenty dollars down at the box office. It's Gator like, o'clock. Give me two. So they're like crawl. Crawl. <laughs> Is that what it's a two for crow? Two for crow. Do you have a child with you? <laughs> Are you two children inside a trench coat? <laughs> Clearly, an adult would not say this. Uh, before we let this intro go too long, though, we are overdue to thank some patrons. We skipped it last episode because I wasn't organized, and so we have a huge amount of names. Yes, to get yes, through. yes, everyone, please, please gather around. Sit, get, come on, closer, closer. Come into the campfire. I want to tell you a story, a fable, a folklore, maybe, about the mysterious and deadly Patreon 17. <laughs> they all, all 17 of them escaped from a uh, charity asylum where they were <laughs> held for their, their great deeds and being such amazing patient people. And, <laughs> and oh, the deadliest of all, uh, Alexis Stewart, Alicia, they, they, they killed people with kindness. Ooh, I know. But brace yourselves, there's more. Uh, <laughs> there's Jordan, Mallory, Jeremy. Oh, from the rafters they descended, showering people with coins until they couldn't handle it anymore. <laughs> Poison coins. Um, <laughs> Chessie, Lucy, S um, Samantha, they, they didn't make it out. They, they, they were trampled by the rest. <laughs> but they, <laughs> we will remember them forever. Carry on their name of charity and goodwill. I thought they were evil. Uh, every single one of them in their own special way is evil. Andrew, <laughs> Peter, and Mia, though, they're keeping the memories uh, of Chessie, Lucy, and Samantha alive. They got commemorative tattoos, uh, as you do. Uh, and, and, then, and then, of course, Jessica, Allie, the leaders that were later usurped by Sam and Daniel. It's a complicated group. And some of them are ghosts, but they're all together. And they're roaming the countryside right now, supporting podcasts and independent horror. <laughs> and we just want to take a moment to thank them. Um, and if you listen very closely, you can hear the sounds of their support whispering and floating Ooh. on the breeze. 
That was a really good ghost story. Was it? Because it feels (laughs) like it really wasn't. Uh, I believed every word. (laughs) For posterity's sake, though, I do want to give a big shout out and a huge thank you uh, to Alexis, Stuart, Alicia, Jordan, Mallory, Jeremy, Chessie, Lucy, Samantha, Andrew, Peter, Mia, Emily, Jessica, Allie, Sam, and Daniel. Thank you so, so much for your continued support. Uh, This show would be impossible without you. It'd be a nightmare. Literally. And thank you, too, to our existing patrons as well. Uh, Nightmare on Film Street is a labor of love and terror, and we are entirely supported by our fans and listeners. So thank you guys so much for supporting the show. There will be a bonus episode for you landing in your feed as soon as this guy's up. Uh, We're playing a little game with this week's episode, so that's just a little thank you for supporting us here on Nightmare on Film Street. And that's at patreon.com slash Nightmare on Film Street. All right, let's get into it. Let's talk about taxidermia. Oh my. From 2006. I now, sure hope you guys know what you're getting into with this one. Um, you know what? It's it's hard to say who's going to enjoy this more. The people that did the that that the people that did watch it ahead of time and maybe unsubscribed from the show because of it <laughs> or the people that have yet to unsubscribe. Uh enjoy the weirdness that is taxidermia. Taxidermia from 2006, currently sitting at a 7 out of 10 on IMDb, 81% on Rotten Tomatoes, 83% on Metacritic, and a 3.4 out of 5 on Letterboxd. It seems like the people who reviewed this movie have iron stomachs. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, y'all ready to talk about some gross stuff? Yeah, so leading into this, I would really like to hear from you. If you watch this movie for the very first time on our recommendation. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> and how many times you barfed. Yeah, or just or walked just away. Or just barfed in your mouth. Not a full out, an air barf would do. I'll count that. What's the point of this movie where you air barfed the most? I air barfed. When did I air barf? Uh, I did an air barf. You mean first? Shh. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, when, when did I barf? Not barf, barf, air barf. It's it's when the guys are purging after all of their eating. But it, I handled, I handled most of it. I I I had to look away at one point because I was just like, this is, this is too, too much. Uh, and then he just goes back for another one so casually. Actually, what I think got you the most was when the guy had the aerosol can that he just like put into his mouth. Oh to yeah, inject. yeah. Because to- I was like, what is that? And I was really leaning into it. I'm like, what's he doing? Oh, God. I really, really, not, not, we haven't even touched the surface of the wildest stuff in this movie. But 
I every I would... single section of this movie has something for everyone to uh, air bars. Okay, good. I was wondering how you were gonna finish that sentence. Oh yeah, like I I would also like to hear from everybody who has not watched this movie and listened to this podcast because it's not gonna make any fucking sense to you. Yeah, it's. This is the strangest film because as much as it is a gross-out movie, it is definitely a piece of cinema in saying that it, it, it's it got a point and a message and it's very artful and cinematic and beautiful and the music's great and the visuals are wonderful, but then it is also really confronting and disgusting. Oh, yeah. It's cute and ugly. Uh, it's, cute is... I guess the 50s see, stuff the is very cute. It's It's got some stuff like where you're just like, oh, man, they're so cute together. And then you're like, oh, man, this is disgusting. This is horrifying. This is perverted. This is horrible. This is scary. And I think that's because this movie is about life, right? Mm-hmm. Like, life is all of those things. There is no life... That is not marred by tragedy, by idiocy, by horror, by love. Like it's, it has all of those aspects just mashed together, and you you got to take all of the worst parts for all of the bad parts. Yeah, and I think there's a kind of a like getting into the themes. If we're gonna get into the themes, I think there's a really nihilistic view of this movie in that. If nothing matters at all and life is just this like beautiful happenstance, then everything about life is beautiful. Even the disgusting, perverted, gross, weird stuff. Like if just if there's a really great monologue at the very beginning of the film, which kind of is a wraparound, which I don't know if I noticed when we first watched this movie, because when we first watched this, we were teenagers still, I think, which is. I, I'm going to side note, side note, side note. I had a much stronger stomach back then. I don't think we were <laughs> vegan at that point. So a lot of the like uh, pig guts and surgery moments didn't really get to me as much as they did now. I, I think you looked away just as much as you look away now. I And I think it comes down to if I knew it was special effects, I would have been able to watch. But for a lot of it, I'm like, mm, it's a lot cheaper just to get a bunch of pig parts from the butcher. So I'm just going to not watch this stuff because... It wouldn't make sense for them financially to not use a dead pig there. And I personally, I just I don't want to watch that stuff, which is the same reason why I don't watch Cannibal Holocaust, because I don't think I can just because I know it's real. Like, that's just a little hurdle that my brain can't get over. I'm with you. Uh, Not that Cannibal Holocaust is real, but the animal there is some real animal abuse in that movie. And I I just I my brain we're not going there uh, honestly i'm okay with watching uh with watching things get hurt in movies because movies aren't real people or thing like animals or things anything gets like hurt uh or killed on camera then i don't think anything no is getting hurt in this movie but i definitely um believe they're using the the affordable convenience of you know organs and oh for certain parts from for sure there's there's no way that in that surgical scene they're not touring around the carcass of something because that (laughs) shit looks way too real yeah when they're cutting open like oh oh okay so but you were talking about a um a monologue at the beginning of the movie yes so sorry i side noted way too many times that's okay um this film has a really great point in that it it's talking about for the end of a life to matter Everything that came before it would also have to matter. And then the movie becomes this visual assault of disgusting, really weird, 
characters and their lineage and how not everything is what it seems. But the the only thing I can take away from that is that we're supposed to see everything kind of at face value, like in a way that we're, we're like idealizing by not idealizing. Okay. Does that make sense? A little, yeah. Like it's this really romantic but nihilistic way to look at the world. Like this is all beautiful and we're we're tromping around in pig shit. Yeah. Like it's beautiful that we can be alive and we're watching people like death by caviar themselves. Oh man. Yeah, this movie's really really crazy. So, like you were saying, the movie follows the lineage um of uh, one family quote unquote sort, yeah sort yeah of. we get we'll, we'll say like a grandfather a father and a son uh the, we see sort of tableaus of each of their lives the grandfather is uh he's a pervert like there's <laughs> there's there's no way to to describe it as any other way he's basically like a slave like a military slave yeah i, I yeah i get the impression it's like world war ii servitude to like a lieutenant or an officer yeah and he's basically treated like a slave he has a shack on the property yeah and i would say this is pretty isolated out in the middle of nowhere in uh, hungary yeah and he's made to do everything himself um, and he's basically sort of spit on and looked down upon from everybody and yeah. cast aside. Well, and he doesn't really have much in terms of like leisurely activities. So in saying that, he doesn't really have an outlet for um, being an adult male. And so he's every scene we see him, he's just a disgusting pervert. Yeah, he's. <laughs> and it doesn't seem that there's any particular thing that sets him off. It's just whatever he can find. And because he has so few resources. You know, sometimes that's the flame of a candle. Sometimes it's the guts of a pig. You know, uh, like the ankle of a shoe out the window. Like he's, he starts masturbating, watching two girls in, having a snowball fight. Uh, it's wild. And, well, and he also has kind of a wild imagination, which makes it really interesting because um, this this first vignette sets off the, the next vignette um, after a baby is born. And... Before that happens, there's a really weird, dreamlike, disgusting. Everything needs to be precursor. Like this is disgusting. Oh yeah. Um, where the servant guy is having sex with the lieutenant's wife, but it's actually a pig carcass, and he's fantasizing about her or one of the daughters. Yeah, or because the like sometimes she's not there. And then sometimes she's turned into one of, like, I guess her daughters or somebody. Mm-hmm. And then there's a lot of shots where it's just, he's just fuck, fucking a carcass. Yeah. Um, but then later, the the wife has a baby. And everybody, like, when the baby... And it's got a pigtail, which is kind of funny. Which <laughs> I think you're, we're supposed to gather it is actually his son. I think so, too. Because also when the baby's born, like, the lieutenant's outside just sort of pacing, smoking. And then a... Um, a midwife comes out to basically say like baby's here but she spits on the ground right so it's there it's like a, what am I, what am i trying to say here sacrilegious almost yeah or? i don't know they're just like uh, he's he's disgusting he's unclean it's 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 obviously this guy's baby because they they hated him so they're going to hate the child that uh, that he uh, helped bear um but yeah what's really like what's really nuts is that you don't know up until that moment that he had sex with that woman, right? The lieutenant's wife. I honestly never had the impression that he had ever. It's kind of just been 
um, in this conversation now that I'm like, oh, I guess that is his baby. Yeah, because immediately after the scene where he's having sex with pig guts. Because, well, yeah, uh, and all of his fantasies end up with him, like, being this, like, lonely masturbator. Oh, so, man. It's, he's, he's, he's very gross, and he's a hard person to be sympathetic for, but he's so sad. He is, he does lead a very sad life, but then there's this really beautiful cinematic sequence where we, we're all of a sudden in a pop-up book, and oh, it's yeah. beautiful, and it's gorgeous, and it's snowing white feathers, and and then he's, like, a like a child pervert. So like, it's just, well, see, so here, here's the really hard part with that scene. And I'm not going to try and like justify it, but I, I think in part of it, it's, you know, I don't think he has a type or a preference. I think he's just a very lonely man. I think every thought he, anything as an outlet. And I think every thought that he has leads to sex because I think he is ultimately like the loneliest man in the world yeah. is, is part of what it is. And he's reading a story about this girl who, it, it, he's also singing a song earlier about the loneliest girl in the world and how, how lonely and sad she is. And he's sort of sympathizing with her and that character and he sees himself in her. And then, you know, unfortunately he twists and bends that story as well into something super sexual and disgusting and devious. But yes, there is this, this, uh, there is another amazing cinematic shot, like probably one of the greatest sequences of the last 10 years, I'd say. Oh, it's say. so good. It's incredible. They they make him draw a bath. And I, you know, before you say this, I I hold the belief that this is the thesis for the whole film. Oh, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. Lead lead me into it. No, Let's no, go. you can talk about, I'm just saying that like in, in you describing it, like this is the thesis for the movie. Okay, well, I hope I can do it justice. Do it justice. He's drawn a bath for these two girls and, well, I think probably for the entire house. They're all going to have a bath in it. The, the one bath for every second Saturday by the by. Yeah, of course, right? And, Let's all appreciate oh, Dove soap bars. They're so smelly. Everybody Thank in you, this Dove. world. Oh. And uh, Irish Spring, if you're a... An Irish spring person. I'm an old spice man myself. <laughs> I don't care. I whatever's cheapest. Yeah, I really don't care. It usually ends up being dove. Herbal uh, lessences. Um so he uh he's drawn the bath. He's not supposed to watch the girls take a bath, but ooh, of course he's gonna take a peek. Uh and then later on when he comes in to to throw out the bath water, he dips his head in and he's just like smelling this gross bath water and he's like running his face in the water but then the camera starts to shift and we're doing like this 360 somersault uh, around the bathtub like the bathtub is constantly turning over and we are seeing different tableaus with the bathtub and we're seeing the bathtub used for for baths for putting animal parts into while they're cooking and then it flips over again and we're seeing a dead body being propped up in it for a wake a baby's been born and now it's a crib somebody's mixing bread into it like this one piece of furniture is being used for all aspects of life Mm -hmm. it's like a serving plate that that all moments and memories are are put upon Mm -hmm. i guess it's multi-purpose what am i trying to say here yeah what I think is so great about that moment, though, is that we have this really hypersexual guy, and he's very definitely trying to get the essence of these girls. He's trying to smell them. He's trying to picture or imagine what they were doing in that bathwater, and he's trying to experience that moment that he's just missed kind of thing. But in in taking us on this journey through this tub and, and every moment that it's been used for, I think it's a great stand-in for the movie as a whole and kind of for, for even filmmaking, if you want to look at it like typical filmmaking, because typical, typical filmmaking doesn't get this gross. Mm. And we only want to see the girls in the bathwater. Mm. But life has so much more to it. And some of those things are disgusting or gross or sad or dark or, boring. or strange. Yeah. 
Yeah, and so filmmaking life, I think it's a great metaphor for seeing more than just the beautiful glimpses and showing the whole picture and how disgusting and odd that is. And I don't know, some of us weirdos think that's beautiful too. I don't know. <laughs> Even though I turn away from half of this movie, I'm just like, wow, that is such a fucking good movie. Yeah, that that is the I, honestly I think that is one of like the the biggest compliments you can give a movie like this is that it's so shocking, I guess, and gross and, and it's just like kind of confrontational, but you still appreciate what it's doing. Yeah, because if I think if this film wasn't as um beautiful and very poetic and had a had a great interesting message and something to discuss afterwards i'm not one to just watch movies that are really gory and confronting for no reason yeah and i think a film would have to go to an extreme length to justify the need to go there and the whole point of this film being disgusting i think is the point yeah but like the craziest thing about it is that uh, so the the lieutenant comes in and sees him uh, having fallen asleep naked on top of this um, this this pile of uh, pig of pig <laughs> uh, and shoots him in the head, which is what brings us to the baby being born. Uh, you know, we're led to believe that it's it's his son, so now his legacy is more or less continuing on. And then we jump cut basically twenty or thirty years to when that child is now an adult man, um, and we see him uh, in the grossest profession there is. Uh, the, I, I don't even know if it's a real profession because it's not like an eating competition; it's speed eating. Is it just well? Uh, yeah, I guess that's true, but. I th- there are also competitions where it's like a, m- a, m- a mount versus time. Yeah. But the point is, this guy is a competitive eater, and uh, it's super gross to watch. But this whole segment is done like like Amelie-ish. It's kind of cute and yeah, whimsical. Yeah, it's got this very fun 50s nuclear family vibe. Yeah. And everybody's got cute hair and perfect outfits and the cars are nice and the but they're eating all the time and they're throwing up on everything yeah but there's a lot of barfing oh there's so much barfing and it's not even like barf it's just liquid purging oh it's so gross there's one guy who's like constantly eating all of the time even when he goes to the hospital to see his friend and while he's having sex later in the movie but (sighs) i swear to god he is chewing on food that he is throwing up like, he's still chewing on something during the whole purge section. It's so nasty. Can you imagine being one of the audience members of this spectator sport? It would sport? smell so bad. It would be fucking there. horrible, yeah. Because Stomach the- acid smells disgusting. The stomach acid from 30 obese men would be overpowering. Because, like, in between rounds, they're going to throw up. Like, okay, Ugh. we go to the scale and we, oh, chompa, chompa, chompa some soup. And then we, like, barf out the soup. And like, okay, here we go. Head cheese time. We got you a nice big old brick oh, of God, head cheese. I forgot about the head cheese. That meat jello and then you're gonna barf it right back up and then round three but you know oh man oh it's gnarly (laughs) um so the story during that second segment it's kind of a love story it is about uh two speed eaters two speed eaters who fall in love and they get married and they have a kid and similar to the first sequence the father of the kid the lineage is kind of questioned on whether the line is flowing smoothly from grandpa to grandson or if there are some you know different genes in the mix yeah i think every 
every child that we see in this movie is is raised by a father that did not that that isn't their biological father mm-hmm. um because the lieutenant is very clearly not the biological father of the man we see in the middle section uh and the man in the middle section raises a son that is definitely not his own uh, and is in fact the son of his fucking bitter rival mm-hmm. and that's really interesting too because the this film discusses a lot of ends and mm. about the beginnings of things and it's interesting that we're watching a full circle but for each of these individual men they are the end of their line yeah it's wild but and they're they, all kind of obsessed with legacy right yeah like you could say that the, the character in the beginning is very lonely because he's not going to have kids i mean it, it, he's probably just lonely because he's a weird horny grosso mm-hmm. but uh grosso well yeah but i mean like it, it, like to be obsessed with sex in some way at least biologically is to be obsessed with your legacy mm-hmm. uh, and and the the man in the middle clearly wants some sort of fame and it it really hurts him that he can't be a, a glory yeah he, right he wants uh speed eating to be recognized as a real sport and he's basically training so that the day it's recognized he can be the top yeah and like even in his uh his winter years as, as a bitter old 500 pound monster blob thousand of a man, pound right He's he's like, oh, you don't know who I am. There's a barfing method named after me. Like, that's what he's holding on to. Like, that's the only thing that and he can... And he's training his fat-ass cat. Yeah. <laughs> so what's really interesting is that the only character in this movie who sort of achieves any long-term legacy, uh, maybe not even just for himself, but maybe for his entire family, is the character at the end who doesn't care about any of that. Like he's the one artist in the in the entire family, mm. and he's the one person who has essentially immortalized himself. Yeah. So all of these characters are hoping to to live forever, either through through name or by blood, and he is the only one that does it. And what's really interesting about him too is that he dies with almost no identity. That's not necessarily true, man. Where I'm really jumping ahead here. No, it's okay. So I mean the so he uh, the the son of the the competitive eater is a very gaunt, skinny, creepy man who is a taxidermist and who has the biggest taxidermy shop in the whole world. Yeah, right. It is huge. What? He could taxidermy an elephant if he wanted. Well, to. he's fucking taxidermying a gorilla in this movie. Oh, that's so true. There's also a bear, but he's got the dainty enough fingers to do a little unborn fetus as well, which is that was so interesting. And how he got, the guy puts it on a fucking keychain. If that was a short film, I would have Just been that, so right? invested. For him to just drop it off, it's in like a paper bag, and he comes and gets it at the end of the movie, and it's a fetus that's been turned into a keychain. So weird. And, and he like, says that he's the fucking story. He says here? that he's a doctor. I don't know that he is. I don't know. Because I don't. I have no idea. He's also the character at the beginning who's giving us our speech. That's giving us sort of like the thesis of the movie, uh, because he discovers our our last protagonist in. Um, his final work. Yeah, in his final work. He's um, like TLDR. He's taxidermied himself. It's one of the weirdest, grossest things that I've ever seen. And there's no music. And it's like you can hear a pin drop. And like, except for the sounds of guts being taken out, right? And a machine whirring occasionally. Well, that's because that machine is like rolling up his fucking intestines outside of himself. And he's like stuffing himself with straw. And he like sews himself back up. And when he pulls a cord, it cuts off his head, saws off his arm. And he's kind of just become like 
like a Venus de Milo, Michelangelo's David kind of uh, object. Uh, and now he's on display in an art gallery. Of course, this wasn't before he taxidermied his really sick father as well. Because the cats ate him. <laughs> yeah, so his his father is a piece of shit. And he's he's absolutely bedridden. He has clearly never stopped eating the amount he's always eaten. In fact, at this point, I think he's just eating meat bars. I don't even know what that stuff yeah, is. Yeah, and he's eating them with the foil on. <laughs> yeah, so he's... Uh, yeah, no, the, the foil helps them slide down. If, yeah, because he can eat like 500 <laughs> in an hour versus like 400 if, he, if yeah. he takes the foil off. Yeah, it helps lubricate or something. It's like, uh, what are you competitively eating for, man? I also think it's interesting that... The third segment is the only one where the father has survived into yeah. um, like the legacy child's adulthood. It's the only one where we have the adult child interacting with the father. Yeah. And kind of it's the first time we see the old world interacting with the new world we've mm-hmm. been introduced to, which has something to say about progress, I think. And because it's the first time the characters have to deal with not being like their father's legacy. Yeah. The fact that he is completely the opposite of his father, because I'm sure the speed eating champion was very, very different than his military father. And I'm sure there mm-hmm. was the same headbutting there. But because it was a different time, that man probably didn't live into um, his senior years. Yeah. And he's he's definitely a thousand percent different than his biological father, who I'm sure no one ever told him about. Exactly. But I thought that was a really interesting way to depict modern times because that's something that a lot of adults are dealing with now for kind of the first time is that their parents are living so long Mm. and kind of we have adults who are retiring who have parents who are still alive. Yeah, like you'll have three or four generations that could in some respects be living under the same roof. Mm -hmm. His cats though. So he's, he's an asshole to these cats and he just like... He, it's it's like he he has more pride in the cats than he does in his son, and I get the impression that no matter how much food this kid eats, he would never gain a pound, right? Yeah, it's just like his type. Like he's got yeah. this very anemic look. Yeah, and uh, the cats themselves though are eating like fifteen, twenty kilograms of butter in one just sitting. Just butter. Just butter. Just nutritious butter. And, uh, you know, one day when the cage, by the way, these cats are so big and feral that they're kept in a fucking cage. <laughs> it's not even a cage. It's just half of the room is walled off with, yeah. a, with a gate. Yeah, it's a cat prison, basically. Well, the, the gate doesn't close all the way when they're, they're getting into a bickering fight back and forth. And when the sun storms off, the cats come out and they fucking eat dad. Because they've been starved for food for so long. Yeah. But in like one final, uh, like, okay, fine, like you love these fucking things. Why don't you lay with them forever? He taxidermies his father and has taxidermies the cats inside him. So the tails are coming out of the wounds that, uh, that, that were caused by the cats. Like rather than trying to sew his dad back up, he just used the cats to fix the hole. Uh, I think he's just got the tails pinned to him. Like, oh, you uh, don't think the cats like are awards? inside of him at all? They might be inside him, but they're definitely just, I think, hanging off. Like he's just got the three tails like awards like you know how you'd keep a raccoon tail Mm, okay all right that definitely means he killed those cats he well he definitely did because you see when he's actually taxiderming his dad he's got those huge scratches down his back like i think he had to fight to get out of there i completely forgot about that yeah 
man, this movie is weird. <laughs> it is a weird movie. Oh, I really hope you guys watched it. Like, one, like, I can understand if you couldn't make it all the way through. I mean, literally, the opening scene of this movie is a guy shooting fire from his dick. Uh, so I'm sorry about that. I'm really <laughs> sorry about that. It really sets you up, though, because this movie is astounding on so many levels that you could still be surprised at the end of it after the opening scenes are oh. like just some guy like blasting fire out of his penis. It's so, so weird. But then, then you get to see this thousand pound man and it's kind of cartoonish and really funny, but it's still visually confronting to yeah. see this hugely fat man. And then you have the vomiting in the middle and you're just like, what is this movie and what am I going to see next? And it literally shows you every I can't I can't think of anything else gross that could possibly have been put in this film. Yeah, they did it all. Like, I, like why, I'm, why are we still making movies? <laughs> it's so fucking strange. I uh, it, it's so hard because you got to walk this fine line of like, do I really want to defend this movie? Is this a thing I want to do? But then fuck yeah, I'll defend this movie. Whatever. We, we got this movie. We rented this movie on a whim blindly. We were just like, oh, this looks good. Let's check it out. I think we might have seen a trailer, but the trailer gave nothing away about this movie. <laughs> and, uh, you Plus, know. Plus, I think we were 19, 18 yeah. and 19. It's, we... it's astounding that we enjoyed it. I, I'm always, I'm just so confused now watching it. We, we watched this movie. We fell so in love with it that the second we heard Blockbuster was closing, we ran over and the like copy. Like there was any concern that somebody else would buy <laughs> I it. I know. <laughs> One copy at the store and we bought that very copy and it still has that really thick Blockbuster cover on it. We are probably the only people that rented it and then now own it. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. It's so bizarre. I hope you I hope you had a chance to see it. I would love to hear your thoughts about it. And also just like if you didn't make it through, I want to know where you stopped. That's that's all. Like that's fine. It's it's okay. You'll come back to it one day maybe, but it's definitely not a movie for everybody. Um of all of the moments in this film, yeah. which would you say was the most physically Ooh. confronting I don't want to say I don't want to say grossest but definitely the one that like personally which one hit resonated with you the most as being disgusting so the, flesh the, oh that's so hard see upsetting what's really interesting now that you're saying that uh, I'm, I'm thinking about it like okay what is it the, which which one made me put my hand over my mouth the most right the, the first sequence is is very sexually disgusting um and the the second sequence is physically disgusting and the third sequence is sort of um existentially disgusting or like more viscerally disgusting yeah so i mean like the, the, they're all also tapping on just like really interesting aspects of human life and like i think they're all confronting in well, yeah, very it's, it's, different it's, ways it's like we we fuck we eat we shit kind of thing yeah <laughs> like, yeah we fuck we eat we die like that's basically all it is yeah. right um this movie, not life. Um, I'm saying that that's all the movie is. Uh, but I don't know. Like, it is so hard because you're just like, well, I mean, the, 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 the competitive eating and the barfing is pretty disgusting. And that's that's really hard to watch. But oh, wait a minute. I mean, also, like the guy taking his guts out and stuff. That's that's pretty gnarly to see. And like, I can like that feeling There's you have one moment your belly where, where his hand is like flipping out like a kidney or something. Yeah. And he has like a really his organs are really clean. He's definitely not a smoker. Like his organs are <laughs> really great shape he would have lived till he was 95 oh guaranteed. did you see how clean and like pink those organs were yeah. that's why i'm they had to be real 
I think all those organs of are something. Really, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not there. I don't think that they're like using cadavers or anything. I think that's that's kind of a gray area there. I don't know if you film is like ready to go there. Yeah. It's got to be something like a pig or yeah. a, maybe a monkey, like a scientific something. Yeah, it's got to be. Those organs are too flippy floppy or they have a really great gelatinist like somebody who's <laughs> crafting perfect little organs and tiny little um oh mo- tiny uh, little molds yeah <laughs> like i have eight kidney molds and they were they were so perfect and it, watching them pull them out i was just like oh god and yeah they're all so the, slippery and, and stuff. cutting like the sinew the cutting stuff. yeah the cutting Ooh, the of skin the skin split. yeah that's oh. that's pretty that stuff's hard to watch or where he's got to like cut that like layer of skin around like his heart and take like it the out. muscle yeah yeah because he's also still hooked up to a machine it's like keeping him alive while he's it's doing, like an iron right? lung or something yeah yeah, yeah. but then also you got to remember like that opening sequence is pretty fucking horrible in its own very specific way so i don't i don't know which section of this really yeah like, after i asked me. you i was like i don't think i can pick like each I... each one of these segments um is is like a pit that you fall into uh and then crawl back out and fall into another one like it's it, they're all pretty <laughs> like oh bad. god we've moved away thank oh god <laughs> but then it's also very funny and it's also like it makes you smile and laugh and uh it, it's like life it's got it all now now i'm saying at at this point in my life i do not think i could see this in a movie theater when oh, we like first discovered it yeah, yeah when we first discovered it if it had been in a theater near us i'm like we have to go for the sound and to be disgusted and it'll be great and it'll be gross but i don't think i could stomach it now the like barfing in cinemascope i don't know if i need that <laughs> yeah yeah can you imagine like yeah 5.1 7.1 surround sound well, yeah, it's like, oh like, it sounds like he's barfing right beside and me. then i'd have this like weird ego trip and be like i can eat popcorn during this movie <laughs> <laughs> think of the photos <laughs> yeah i don't think i could do that today that's so funny I feel sorry for anybody that discovered that at a at a film festival like premiere and had no idea what they were getting into. Wow. <laughs> or like somebody yeah. who's not really into these movies and like had to review it. Hey, I gotta say though, I mean like if I was at a film festival and I didn't know anything about this movie, uh, like basically the way we first saw it, mm-hmm. I would not uh, have as strong a reaction as if we were at a film festival and I knew nothing about like Gaspar Noe's uh, Irreversible and watched it blind going in like that movie would destroy me if i didn't know what was coming next like seeing it now like the first time we saw it we we knew that there is a very, very it still violent... destroyed me i needed to yeah. pause it and take a break before we but finished you, but the and movie. that's but that's knowing that's even knowing it's coming can you imagine being in a movie theater not knowing anything about it going in i probably would have had a little cry in the bathroom and come back like i probably, probably would have been like i don't think you would have been alone <laughs> you pro- i'm sure you would have seen a bunch of cries in the men's bathroom during that movie yeah but yeah, this uh, it's a hard movie to watch. I think it's totally worth it. Uh, I think there's plenty of stuff to to love and hate about it. Uh, but Kim. All in service of the story. Oh yeah, great story. The asterisk, great story. Um, what's your rating of this movie? Four out of four. Yeah, you give this a four? It's my birthday movie. Of course it's a four out of four. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's hard to give this movie a four out of four, knowing that other people are going to see it. <laughs> But this movie's a four out of four. Like, it's a fucking... It's an art film. Boom. We just excused everything in this movie. It is art. Any complaint. This is an art house film, guys. You know what that means? You have to like it. (laughs) Well, I think we're at an interesting point in this day and age, too, where a lot of things are being 
challenged in like what's what's socially right and what's acceptable and and uh I think film is one of those things that needs to be protected because it is art and we don't necessarily need to like or agree with the characters in what they do. Nope. Uh, I'm I'm talking particularly about like the sexual appetite of the character in the beginning. Yeah. Like, that's what makes it really hard to say that you love this movie, I think, is because he is kind of disgusting and oh, yeah. his morals are borderline. But one, he's of a different time. Not that that excuses that. But also he's a fictional character and you don't have to agree with him to say that the movie is good. And I think the fact that the film confronts you is good. And that's why we need to protect art and um, the things that are fucked up because if the world becomes PG and we don't have art being R rated yeah, or NC 17 or whatever, what it restricted, like then we ha- we've lost our voice completely. So art needs to be um, disgusting. It needs to be wrong. It needs to be politically incorrect. And we have to, to put ourselves up to watching it even when it's gross because I think there's a point in that the fact that we come away from it being disgusted um helps us put ourselves somewhere on the the graph of morality yeah and if you if you just like close all those doors then you're you're just ignoring it and you're just everything is just green and dandy when that's not true not at all and I think that's exactly what this movie's trying to say yeah. Four out of four. Four out of four. Disgusting. Gross. I looked away. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on. Let's talk about something that is uh, not as gross, but definitely a lot easier to like. We're talking about 2018's November. Marmor valke jume, otse kui sametis tõmmeldud huule, Kiss and Jesus Christus, you mother. Hate her. So November from 2018, currently sitting at a 7.2 out of 10 on IMDb, 79% on Metacritic, 96% on Rotten Tomatoes, and a 3.7 out of 5 on Letterboxd. Gotta love that Rotten Tomatoes rating. I know, it's pretty high. 96%, guys. Yeah. You know, I didn't write down how many critics reviews, but it's probably not a ton. Probably not. Do you remember, did it play at multiple festivals that we went to in... I think it was just, where do we, Fantasia, right? Uh, I, I know it made the festival circuit. I think it went to Fantastic Fest, definitely. But yes, we, uh, we saw it out of Fantasia in 2017. What's really interesting is that we didn't know much about it. 
and we decided, you know what, let's go to this Larry Cohn documentary instead. Uh, we missed the actual theatrical screening of it, but caught up with it in the screening room that uh, that Fantasia has for affiliated press. Uh, basically, just watch a movie on a laptop. And God, it would have been great to see this movie in the fucking theater. Oh, yeah. it would have been good. Mistakes were made. What are you going to do? <laughs> this is a great documentary that we saw, though. Yeah, totally. Where do we start with this movie? I'm going to just jump the gun and say that this is probably one of the most beautiful films I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. And it is so soupy and so beautiful. And it's a black and white film. So it really plays with contrast and the coloring is part of the story and parts of the like which Hell parts yeah. of the film are dark and which parts of the film are bright so much so that our care our lead characters look entirely dis- different based on what scenes they're in mm. and whether it's a very light washed out white foggy scene or if it's like a black dark soupy scene i haven't seen a modern day film utilize black and white in this fashion in a really long time. I'm really looking forward to Robert Eggers' The Lighthouse. Oh, man. It's going to be another great black and white movie. I can feel it. But this movie, it looks like an inkwell. The The blacks are so black and the whites are so white. But like, <laughs> it, it makes everything on screen look like a ghost. Um, and Or just like, like shadows on a white canvas. This movie is fucking gorgeous yeah and something too when you're really playing with lightness and darkness and creating high contrast is it really makes your cinematography pop because you're so focused on composition because you're not distracted by color Mm. that when things follow the rule of threes or if things are centered on the screen which is i find is more popular in film than in like any other artistic medium yeah you're usually off center a little bit it really stands out and it's really visually arresting there's a lot of really great moments in this film and it's completely aware of it because we'll stay in those scenes for a long time um the moment that comes to mind to me is when the boy Hans is standing in front of the window just playing his Uh. like harmonica or whatever but there's so much atmosphere in that scene because the cabin is dark outside is just pure high contrast white yep. and then it's picking up little flecks of dust so there's so much atmosphere in that scene you can yep. literally see the space in between the camera and him and the wall he's against because of those flecks of white dust they're fully fully aware of how beautiful the shot is because he stays there for a good like five minutes and i could i could have stayed there the whole movie I oh, like, yeah. here we are watching some Just... bike springs talk yeah <laughs> and it's Gorgeous. There are plenty of great shots like that, specifically with characters just standing in doorways. Um, where yeah like the the light from outside is just like beating in and behind them, but we still are able to make out the detail of the characters as well, which is is hard cuz usually it's just like, "Oh, hey, look, a silhouette standing in the sun." Mm. Oh, fuck, this movie looks great. Uh talking about the bike springs though. It's one of the first things you see in the movie. It's it's called a crat. And it's kind of horrifying. Yes. In whimsical and wonderful all at the same time. Yeah, the first one we see is definitely very scary. And you don't know what to expect because we're just sort of getting these landscape shots and everything is is, is like a burnt black and or covered in snow and sort of barren. And then we just watch this figure it's made like of like... A pinwheel of scythes yeah. with a cow skull as a head. Yeah, and it's just sort of like tromping around. 
and you don't know where it's going. Like, it looks, it's a possessed object. That's exactly what it is, actually. But it, it breaks down a door and goes into this little barn where a cow is. And it's a cow's skull that's on top of this this structure. And they sort of stare at each other for a quick minute. Like, they're they're bearing each other down. And you you expect this thing that you learn to be called a crat to kill the cow. Especially once it because grabs... Because it's made of knives. Yeah, it's just fucking made of knives and skulls. Like, it looks like a death machine. But then it just grabs the, the cow's chain and brings it outside like it's taking him for a walk. And then when the cow won't come, uh, it, the, the scythes pick up speed and turn into, like, a fucking medieval helicopter. <laughs> and the cow's just like, all right, I guess I'm cool with this. And just flies him across town over to wherever he's supposed to bring him. Yeah, this... We haven't really said this is kind of a, it's primarily a folklore film. So while there is kind of a, a romantic story that's the thread or like the main arc of the film, oh boy, a it? lot of the film is comprised, I would say, of vignettes of different folklore elements yeah, from Estonia. Seem, yeah. There's there's some really re- great depiction of ghosts Fuck yeah. and lineage kind of with deceased ancestry. And there's also a really interesting depiction of the devil who comes into the play and a physical representation of the plague. So watching this movie, there's so many fun little tidbits to get out of it, despite it being overall like a tragic romance. It's kind of a Little Mermaid story, like a Hans Christian Andersen. I love him. He loves someone else. Uh, I have to kill him with a dagger and become bubbles story. Unrequited love up the wazoo. Yeah, they feel like a lot of short stories or they've taken uh, like dozens of folk tales and sort of spun them together into this one little village. Uh, the Krat specifically uh, that I was talking about earlier is this object that's like a farm tool and you piece it together and then you get a soul from the devil. I think you're supposed to get your soul and put it into the Krat and now you have this sort of um, steampunky uh, soul slave. You can get it to do whatever you want. But the weird thing is that they have lives of their own. Yeah, they are like a sentient version of the objects they're comprised of. Yeah, and it's like a crat needs work. My last master didn't give me work, so, so I, I strangled him. him. Yeah. Like, okay, cool. That's great, I guess. Like these things are like equally fun and whimsical and funny and horrific. It's bizarre. And, and- also kind of like pitiful. They're they're sat on and stomped on and used like ladders sometimes and they're just these like menial possessed objects. Which is really interesting because they are souls like and typically souls of real people. So they're treating each other like absolute shit, right? What's really interesting is the the, the one main crat that we keep seeing with the, the head family, Hans's father's crat. Do you think that's his mother? No, so I I think they're just possessed objects. I don't think they're made of souls. You don't think they're made of souls? I think the devil just animates the crap. Because it's, okay, okay, so we do, um, in in that gorgeous scene you were talking about where Hans is in front of the window, we see our lead character's um, father come and ask for currants, like the raisins, like black currants, because he wants to go meet the devil, because he needs a crat, but he wants to trick the devil. Rather than signing his name, in the book with his own blood, he's just going to squeeze some currants together and sign with currant juice to trick the devil into giving him a soul for a crat. But I get the impression that had he have signed with his own blood, it would have been his own soul that went into the crat. No, I think his soul belongs to the devil. So if he dies, 
the devil gets to take his soul. Or if the crat dies. Or if the crat dies. Okay. My mistake. If the wish becomes fulfilled. I gotta say, I am always nuts about any folklore where the devil can be tricked. I love it. I also love creative depictions of the devil, and the devil is wonderful in this movie. He is this zany, childlike buffoon almost. Yeah, he's a jester. But he's, in the same sense, like he's very menacing because he's unhinged and unpredictable. Mm. Even the scenes where he's in a good mood, I'm tense. I watch him like I watch um, Joseph and Creep. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, you could do something at any minute, and I need to be ready to, like, react to you. (laughs) He's pretty great. And And he's just so silly. Like, when the dad is first trying to sign his name slash fake out with these currents in the book, he's writing on the devil's back. The devil has gone hands and knees on the ground and become a table. And it's just such a silly visual image yeah and like maybe it's an estonian uh turn of phrase that we're not quite getting but like he's he's joking around with him about like oh well while we're here we can make your pants dance you want to make your pants dance i'll make your pants dance like i have no idea what that means but the dad's like maybe next time well yeah he's just mischievous and, and odd there's one scene where he's walking through a field the devil and he just fucks with some like goats that yeah, are on the just, field he, he just, just yells chases at after them like because he's just a, like a big kid Yeah, he's so bizarre. So bizarre. And the thing is, like, once he knows he's tricked, it's like he doesn't do anything about it, really. No, because he's just, he's been tricked. End of story. Yeah. I'm angry about it, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna be really aware of it next time but he doesn't go and hunt him down because like he's been bested i guess it's against the rules right yeah Yeah. because once once he signs his name in the book with the black currants after he's left the devil starts to lick it up like oh so tasty so great and then he realizes oh this isn't blood this is fruit i hate this shit it just like spits it into the camera oh it's pretty great but yeah like you were saying the, the majority of this movie is this tragic love story so Lena is 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 our lead, and she's in love with Hans, but unfortunately Hans has eyes for this Baroness who's come to town, um, and she is doing everything she possibly can just to get him to see her, but he won't. And it seems like without the Baroness around, she would have been the one that he fell for. Yeah, because there's there's nobody else young in this village. It's just the two of them. That's very true. They are completely fated to be together. And everybody in the village sees it. Like, they are supposed to be together, but because he can only see the Baroness... She's completely invisible to him. Yeah, it's so sad. Because they, uh, I think it's essentially their Halloween, right? Like it's it's leading into November where the dead come back and walk and, and eat dinner with them. Um, uh, he, Hans, sees his dead mother and she sees Lena and says, oh, what a, what a gorgeous woman she's grown up to be. And like they kind of have this moment where it's like, oh, you're going to marry her. It's going to be great. And when Lena sees her mother who's very young as a ghost. Like, she definitely died, maybe even during childbirth, for all we know. She may have never... Can you fucking imagine that story? She's never met her mom, but every Halloween she gets to see her? Yeah. Damn, that's wild. Huh. But she says, I have somebody, and mom says, that's very good, I'm very happy, and then disappears. 
It's like she she's only coming back to make sure that her daughter has someone. Like that's her unfinished business. Yeah, right? Yeah. Which and it seems like for all of the other ghosts, their unfinished business is like treasure they've buried. <laughs> like they're all very concerned about the treasure they have buried elsewhere that no one's gonna find. We're not worried about it. Not they they won't even give it to their living relatives. <laughs> they just they never want anybody to get it. They can't take it with them, but they don't want anybody to touch it. It's crazy. <laughs> Yeah, there's a really interesting depiction of, like, greed and um, just the weird societal, how publicly these villagers behave. Because they're definitely all very impoverished and borderline starving and, you know, living very rough lives. And for some reason, the Baron and his daughter, like, leave their back door unlocked. And (laughs) the villagers, like, it doesn't matter whom, so many of them just break in and are stealing clothes and underpants and food and bread and just because they can't yeah it's wild uh, i think they even say that the baron's mother uh is is on her deathbed and doesn't even have a dress to wear to die in basically so this woman who feels bad for her gives her one of her dresses despite the fact that she's the person who's been stealing her dresses for like months now <laughs> and like she's she, the reason she yeah. has no dresses oh man and like there's no there's no regard for it like the she wants this last dress that she's stolen uh, she's trying to sell to Lena, and Lena has a ring. She goes, oh, well, that's, uh, you know, that's okay. I'd like your silver brooch, but for a ring, you can have a strip of silk, and just, like, rips a piece off the bottom and gives it to her. Like, doesn't have any care for it. She Like, it doesn't mean anything to her. She doesn't understand it. It's just not hers, and somebody else wants it. Mm-hmm. This movie kind of breaks my heart, though. It is very sad. The best part about this movie, despite the fact that it really expertly and vaguely depicts these really wonderful folklore stories is that it has such a beautiful and poetic and complete understanding of love and unrequited love. Yeah. And how beautifully and tragically it depicts it. Like Hans at one point, so both Lena and Hans are not above using magic or whatever you call magic in this world to get their beloved and for Hans that's the Baroness and for Lena that's Hans and so Hans at one point tries to do the same thing that Lena's father does and trick the devil into getting his own crat which he's built a snowman on the Baroness's property and I don't know if it's supposed to be this like wonderful thing that he's going to show her or if he's just looking for like a mentor but either way he goes to sell his soul to the devil trick him with some currents but because the devil's on the up and up now but the currents he forces Hans to sign his name in the book and unfortunately because the crat is made out of a snowman he's a time sensitive crat yeah which is so unfortunate because this crat is so well spoken oh it's the most profound character in any movie ever oh he is so full of great stories and knowledge and he's so inspiring that we become Hans in those scenes, like with our hands on our chin, just listening to him tell his story. Yeah, just enraptured with his tales because the snowman, having been made from snow, 
which is water that has evaporated and gone into the clouds and fallen back down, is eternal. The, the, the water that comprises the snowman has been in the, the Nile in Egypt and in Venice, and just it's been everywhere forever for all time. And it's seen countless lovers ex- professing their love for one another with poems and, uh, and songs and sonnets. And it's, it's, he tells him all of those things about love and like how to love and how to profess it and sort of teaches him how to talk to the Baroness. But yeah, it's, and what's crazy is that it, he even says to him that this is the first time he's ever had the ability to speak. And he knows that his time is limited. And he explains to him that it was a foolish endeavor to make a snowman because I'm already dying. It's like once he understands his own existence, he begins to weep, which is really just him melting. But good God, does it look good, right? And oh, fuck. Like, this, that whole, this movie tears my fucking heart out <laughs> watching slowly it. he's becoming a puddle. Yeah. Like not even am I just like super sad for, for Hans and Lena. But like the snowman as well is just but like the snowman is sort of a filter that's explaining the feelings that Hans has like Hans can't express it. But he has he sees the same look in Hans that he's seen in every other in every yeah love lorn person every poet everybody of ever. And he sees he sees Lena and Hans together in the moonlight. And like although Hans thinks he's seen the Baroness and you know Lena is pretending to be the Baroness. Um, he understands that these two people love each other. It's so sad. Yeah, you know what's you know what's even fucking worse than this is the old witch in town when she when Lena is expressing this hurt that she has over Hans and how uh, Hans will talk openly about how much he loves the Baroness and how she will just listen to him talk about her and pretend that he's talking about her, Lena. Because she knows the Baroness will never hear those words. So those words are for her. It's well, like, and she oh. even says, after she after she finishes that, she says, poor Hans. Like, she still yeah, feels she bad still feels for, him. for him. Oh, man. And the witch ha- has been through this herself. She's an old woman now, but she even says, I was once 16 and waited for a boy to come meet me in the haystack. And he never came. And now I'm old. Like, it's just like all of a sudden her life went by because she waited for this guy who was never coming for her. It's fucking horrible. It's really, it's sad and wonderful at the same time. Something interesting, too, is that the Baroness even has this interesting element. She sleepwalks, and pretty precariously, she always seems to end up on the roof. Yeah. And it's because all of these lives are converging on her property that she keeps surviving. Yeah. People keep rescuing her, and at one point, it ends up even being Lena, who's come there to kill her, as per the witch's instructions, as per, like, the love spell. You gotta love that. Like, how does this love spell work? Well, we just, uh, we kill her. And then, uh, and <laughs> and then, then he love loves you. you. <laughs> like, damn, magic works every time. <laughs> gotta love them practical witches, right? Also, there there is that moment where uh, where Lena is getting dressed to be to pretend to be the Baroness, where she's gonna go meet Hans at the lake, and uh, the witch is there, and they're talking about it, and Lena's very excited. And another woman from town comes in, and she's just 
talking nonsense about like getting drunk and and stealing money from the church and then then just like putting a curse on the priest and whatnot but like watching all of those the like sort of three generations of women just kind of like talking and being warm with each other in a way it's like this is my steel magnolias i'll never watch steel (laughs) magnolias but i will watch a fucking witch and two women talk about curses and boys especially because later on she has the priest like on a on a leash yeah like <laughs> they, they've essentially lobotomized him with potions yeah because they don't want him to be replaced by another priest who will just be worse than the original priest so yeah. they're, they're just bringing him down a couple notches so that they can like control him and her fucking like what what, what is it that she does she's okay yeah so she's stealing money from the church because it's sacred so if she goes to the pub and buys drinks with it, it'll come back. To it'll her. come back to her. Yeah. And the, the fucking witch is like, oh, what? It'll just walk down the street and <laughs> climb back up into your pocket. Like, it's from Jesus. It will. <laughs> <laughs> so fuck it. Like the, the, the snowman melts just as he's like finally giving like Hans the courage and the, uh, the advice to like how to speak to the Baroness, like just talk from your heart. You can do it. And like he's not a poet, but he's like you're like a like a calf, like a young cow. You breathe like a cow. <laughs> yeah. Is that good? He goes, "That's great. That's beautiful." <laughs> you're doing it. <laughs> you're doing it. <laughs> Poems. <laughs> but right as we're about to have this penultimate moment where Hans is running after the Baroness, and I say that in quotations because it's actually Lena in this dress that she's traded everything for. Yeah. And you're gonna have a moment. You hope. You think where she's going to be revealed to him and he's going to realize that he loves her and that without all the clothes that she's this woman um, destined to be with him. Because he's chasing after her with a ring, right? Like he's going to ask her to marry him. And on his way there, the devil appears because the crat has melted it completely and the crat is dead and the devil wants his payment and so he twists his neck and body is in the wagon with the ring in his hand she can see it yeah and she's just like running after him but she can't catch up and it's like simultaneously like he he doesn't no one knows it but yet but no one was around to catch the baroness and stop her from walking off the roof so the previous night when hans was meeting lena at the lake under the moonlight uh, she had died. She didn't quite commit suicide, but she she fell off the roof. So there, you know, while his black horse is carrying him and his hay-ridden cart across the road, so too is like a white funeral carriage. A white funeral carriage. They they pass each other. Just a white horse and a black horse crossing each other in the road. Man, like and like that's what you're talking about at the beginning of this episode, saying that this movie uses color to tell its story. Like we see that with, you know, like with even with the snowman and with with the devil a lot. But just having like this this pure white and dark black carriages sort of passing each other in. Uh, fuck, this just this movie hits you hard, <laughs> but it's gorgeous and it's creepy and it's 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 atmospheric and it's fucking hilarious, too. Right. Like those scenes where we meet the the plague, essentially, uh, the, the way that they fool it is by putting their shoes like putting pants on their legs and shoes on their hands so that way when the plague comes into the barn and they're all laying down, the plague just sees... A bunch of asses and gets bu- confused. Yeah, and, and passes by. <laughs> and it works is the thing. Like the Death comes into the barn and is confused and leaves and everybody's like, whoa, that was close. <laughs> <laughs> like, what a 
bunch of dummies. Oh, boy. Yeah. It's hard to keep talking because we've kind of covered the main story, which is this this really tragic romance. But there's so many wonderful elements that you get a real feel for what the stories are like and their and their interesting fairy tales. It's got a very Hans Christian Andersen vibe. Yeah. Anderson, I don't know how you yeah. <laughs> Anderson. <laughs> Hans Christian Anderson. Um but those stories are so wonderful and so whimsical and, and fantastical, but in the same sense, they aren't Disney-fied. Fuck they no. they have that really dark, twisted, sometimes scary side, and um this film kind of encompasses all of that. Yeah, it's not. It's and I can't. I can't talk more about the crat. I mean, like, well, I could talk more about it, but like, I, I don't. Th- I feel like I'm doing a good enough job explaining it. I think you guys really have to see these crats for yourself. They're really bizarre. But and it's weird. so funny after you you understand what a crat is. It's like this creature. You're like, why aren't these in every movie? Like, why is this the first time I've been introduced to this yeah. creature? Yeah. It it's already. Dracula or Frankenstein to me. You know what I mean? Yeah, I want more of them. Yeah. They should be in every movie. They should be. (laughs) Like, this is like the the, the H.R. Giger version of Beauty and the Beast. Because like in Beauty and the Beast, oh, the clocks talk and they make dinner and stuff. Like, these things are the stuff of nightmares, but they will till the soil for you (laughs) and they will grieve your son with you. Oh. Just so weird, right? That's that's what makes me think that it had some sort of personal connection to him. I, uh, I don't know. Either, either it's probably just that it, it understands the loss of life is what it is. Um, well, and he's been in their family for so long. Has he? Yeah. Well, I guess that's true. Because, like, it's the family crat. Mm. Okay. What's your rating, Kim? It's your birthday. I'll let you go first. <laughs> surprise, surprise. My rating is a four out of four. Yeah. I, I could never give this movie less than four out of four. I think this was like it is beautiful and it's poetic and it's it's just perfect. We were trying to figure it out. Do you remember? Was this your like number one pick in 2017? I can't remember. It was on my top list. I don't I don't know remember what number I had it at. I think mine was likely low life. Was probably my number one. Yeah, I think mine that year might have been Ten Cloverfield Lane. This was that 2017. I I can't remember. That sounds about right. I think it was like Ten Cloverfield Lane, then November. I think we both had November at number two. Such a good movie. Fuck, I love this movie. And if you haven't watched it, if hopefully we've convinced you to see it, it is on Shudder. It's a really hard movie to Google because it's just called November. And if you <laughs> Google November 2018, you're going to get a lot of Farmer's Almanacs. Um, so it's November 2018. You can write Estonia if you're searching for it because it's an Estonian film. But it is on Shudder. Um, and you definitely need to see it before it is not on there anymore. I don't know how long they have it. But, oh, it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. And oh, somebody tweeted at me that it's on DVD now too. We can get oh, yeah? we can get a region one DVD. Oh it. yeah, because it's oscilloscope. Oscilloscope put it out. So that's very exciting. Very. I do want to have it. I would like to own it. So oh we, yeah. So we need to get it. No problem. Because it's wonderful. And it's my birthday. So um birthday request, John. I need that DVD. Um but thank you again so much for listening to this greedy greedy birthday episode uh hopefully you enjoyed these two weird movies hopefully we introduced one or two new movies that you had never seen before one that grossed you out and one that broke your heart tweeted us at nofs podcast and let us know what you thought of taxidermia and november or you can sound off in our facebook group that is facebook.com slash groups slash horror fiends of nofs we're gonna stick around for a few more minutes i've put a little game together for kim's birthday that i'm calling Pin the tail on the phony. A classic birthday game. (laughs) 
I couldn't think of a weird punny title for pinatas, but uh, I'm going to quiz Kim on her knowledge of Estonian and Hungarian folklore. Spoiler alert, I'm going to be terrible. I'm actually Hungarian, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on my father's side, we had oh, a lot man. of uh, Hungarian food. So I could do food. I could do like dumplings and stuff. I I could do good on that quiz. You know, it's really funny. Like Hungarian, you're partly Hungarian. I'm partly Dutch. Uh, they, they, they don't believe in seasoning, those people. It's just like, just boil it, throw salt, salt on it, and you're good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> really salty. Like, my grandma had this one soup that I, we ate it so much as kids, but I don't think I ever really enjoyed it, but you just eat it. By the way, I've heard so much about this soup for years, and I have not been able to pin down what type of soup it is. It's just broth with carrot circles, and it's so salty and so peppery that it's, like, spicy. I'm sorry. I. But I, it's, like, the bro- it's pepper broth. It's I just was, carrots and pepper in water. <laughs> I was confusing this with another soup, you guys. Oh, stew and glue? Stew and glue. Now, what is stew and it's, glue? That's just a kid name we had for it. Stew with dumplings. Got it. But because the dumplings are like glue in your mouth, <laughs> we were like, st- like, oh, whatever. <laughs> Did you talk about it like being glue inside your guts too? Yeah. Like, yeah. You're like, it's going to stick to my ribs. Hold everything together. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty great. Oh, weird. A lot, of, a lot of cabbage in my grandparents' Same. house. Oh, man. Just like perpetually smells like cabbage. I think it's to hide their farts. <laughs> I'm not I gonna lie. I think it was like a like a bread substitute. Like everything gets wrapped or held with cabbage. Oh yeah, they love cabbage rolls, but they would also just like boil cabbage. Like they made their own. Like, guess sauerkraut. what? Meat with cabbage again. You're like, like oh yay! good. <laughs> I mean that and uh, pastries. Oh fuck, could my grandfather we make a good pastry? Pastries. He made these puff pastries where uh, like he would make the sort of like a phyllo dough ball, I guess, mm. and then uh, he would put little. Uh, Little little shot of whipped cream on the inside of it. Ooh, like an Cho- eclair or something. Chocolate on the top. Yeah, it was like an Ooh. eclair ball, is what it came. That down sounds to. wonderful. Yeah, they were great. That sounds great. My grandma put like, she made us just eat green onions. She would just cut the tops off green onions. Yeah, here, just, chew like, on this. Yeah, and like cucumbers with salt on them. Like, why do we have to put salt on the cucumbers? That's grandma's seasoning. Yeah, or yeah. margarine on every sandwich. Yep. Every fucking every, you could sandwich. not you could not get anything without margarine on it. Damn. Let us know about your grandma's recipes over on Twitter, Instagram, and <laughs> Reddit. Of course, I want to hear all about them. Let me know about them weird dishes. Did you finish that Patreon thing? Uh, you can find that Patreon game at <laughs> Patreon.com/slash/NightmareOnFilmStreet, uh, where you can get a ton of other bonus stuff in exchange for supporting the show. Uh, Nightmare on Film Street is listener supported. It is run by John and I. And all of your patronage and support goes to our hosting and our bandwidth and keeping Nightmare on Film Street alive. We got hours and hours of bonus content over there for you if you'd like to have if you'd like to commit to a monthly recurring donation. But that's not the only way to support the show. Uh, for free, you can just tell a friend about it. And that it's is just as good as becoming a patron. Put the show in front of somebody that you know would love it. Help us grow the horde. Uh, and find more people to talk to weird movies about. That's what life's, that's what life's all about. All guys. about. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be back at you again in two weeks from now with another full-length episode. But until next time, I'm Kim. I'm John. Stay, Stay creepy. It appears you made it out alive. Just long enough to tell the tale of the nightmare on Film Street. Ow! Help us grow the horde. 
leave a review on iTunes or wherever you subscribe. Continue this week's conversation on Twitter by following at NOFS Podcast. And as always, more terror can be found lurking on our website, www.nightmareonfilmstreetpodcast.com. Until next week, stay creepy, fiends. <laughs>